Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is here with me. Got our first post-game show of the year. Michigan beats East Carolina 30-3. I would argue before they put the backups in, the game was not that close. But in this episode, we're going to spend the first half looking at the offense, second half looking at the defense, kind of talking mainly about what just stood out to us, both good and bad. We'll go over the strengths and weaknesses or the the pluses and minuses that we saw. Tons of stories over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. Lots of post-game content already, but uh, including some stuff on the the free Harbaugh shirts. thought that was funny, like the, the, the train formation that they did. But yeah, this episode we'll talk offense and then defense in the second half. And Steve, starting with the offense, I, I think... To me, the biggest story of the game was J.J. McCarthy and Roman Wilson especially. But really, I I, I felt like Michigan's so-called big three, Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, Colston Loveland, they all made nice catches. Uh, I think they all showed, to me, a pretty nice ability to to get open in a way that J.J. McCarthy can find them. You know, it's one thing to run your route that the play is called for. It's another thing to get open. But McCarthy definitely was was the star of the show. Thought he did a really nice job extending plays. I think he he saw pressure really early. He was decisive. You know, he was he was very confident throwing over the middle of the field. I didn't feel like he rushed a lot of throws, even even when he was statistically rushed by a quarterback pressure or whatever. Uh, felt like he had a a really nice poise to him. Yeah, just really. I mean, you can't ask for much better than what he gave you. Twenty six for thirty, two hundred and eighty yards, three touchdowns. Felt like. Pretty much every throw was more or less where it needed to be. I mean, you're not going to complete every throw, but if you have three touchdowns and four incompletions, you probably had a pretty good day. So I I came away really impressed with just about everything that that the passing game did. I'm doing my post-game grades about halfway through them right now. Uh, I gave them an A. I don't think there's a huge argument to to say otherwise. I I know ECU is, you know, it's, it's different to do it against East Carolina versus a Big Ten team or another Power Five team. But but at the same time, I think a lot of people were really curious what this passing game would look like. New quarterbacks coach, technically today, new play caller. Uh, you know, everyone's been talking about the the strides Roman Wilson made and, and Jim Harbaugh asking him if he wants the number one jersey after the fall camp that he had. And, and then everyone's talked about the growth J.J. McCarthy made. I know in the spring there was the comments that he was surgical or video game-like. He himself felt like he he got better, faster, stronger uh, this summer. And and then there was a lot of talk during fall camp. Not a lot of interceptions. Not a lot of, you know, just straight-up bad throws. And, and then he was even starting to grow in the sense of if he sees something in the defense, you know, I, I just felt like his reads and his progression – was pretty good today. I really, I mean, again, can't draw up much better from the passing game. Steve, your thoughts on on the passing game or or maybe the other strengths that you saw from the offense today? Yeah, so he was 26 for 30, completed, what, 15 of his first 16. The one incompletion in that was the drop by Wilson. Another one of the incompletions was maybe given that the Josh Wallace interception ended up not counting may have been the best defensive play of the game by that. I can't remember which ECU defensive back it was, but made that great leap one-handed leap to 
Oh Took yeah. Ball. Yep. Otherwise, otherwise that's a touchdown for but AJ he caught Garner. That, right. Or yeah, and he, he did almost <laughs> get like a palm on it. But either way, I thought that might have been the most impressive individual defensive play of the game. Um uh, yeah, I mean opponent independent. I mean, he made multiple JJ McCarthy made multiple elite level throws. You know, I think the third touchdown pass to Wilson. I think the out route that he hit Wilson on the play after Wilson dropped the ball. So like maybe it was, was that his first completion, you know, just looked excellent. I think there should be a lot less concern about the receiving aspect too, because you kind of pointed it out. I mean, Michigan really does have a three headed sort of monster. We talked about how having reliable senior play at the top of your depth chart is super valuable. I always think of how great Darbo and Chesson were for Michigan in their final seasons. And then you had a guy like Colson Loveland at tight end who, yeah, I, I think gives them a different dimension uh, receiving wise at tight end than they've honestly probably really ever had. I mean, Jake, Butt up there, but I just, I, I do think Loveland has a, a higher ceiling than Jake, Butt did in the passing game. So, uh, you know, those three guys will make life easier for it. It's a, it'll be a, a two-way street there. Both both the uh, McCarthy will make life easier for those guys, and they're going to make life a lot easier for him. Uh, I mean, you can even throw Donovan Edwards there in the mix in the passing game too. So, yeah, can't say enough. You know, the other thing, yeah, I think it was a, a, a situation where, yeah, McCarthy properly utilized his feet to make plays. There were no real happy feet type situations. There were multiple plays where he had an excellent pocket stood in, made an easy, made a a great throw. The receivers did a great job of getting open. Uh, So yeah, you can't say enough. We, what did we say going into it? Uh, You know, if, if JJ McCarthy plays at an elite level, then Michigan has a chance to really do some big things this year. I mean, he looked, I would agree with that. Yeah. Right. He looked about as good as you really, uh, you know, could look in, in the, you know, again, opponent independent, in my opinion, because like I said, there are a few of those throws are, I don't care who you're playing. Those were some beautiful passes. Uh, so that should be the biggest takeaway of the entire game for fans. I feel like is how excellent McCarthy looked. I mean, what's the record? 25 touchdown passes yeah for Michigan man I mean it's (laughs) he has 11 in his last four games okay it's hard it's it is pretty hard to imagine and again part of it probably part of it is due to a a slightly softer schedule particularly in the early part of the year but it's man it's hard if he stays healthy it's hard to imagine he's not gonna uh break that I I just I'd be I'd almost be surprised at this point so you know overall takeaway passing game are we talking just about McCarthy because I did think that in this may be a maybe a bigger thing I thought the play from the backups offensively was a bit was a bit underwhelming but um but yeah overall biggest biggest takeaway from the game is the play of McCarthy for sure yeah I think one thing I would add to the McCarthy discussion uh I just feel like he's making his decisions and making his throws with more conviction than he did for much of last season. Cause I think last season he was amazing against 
Hawaii. I think he was extremely efficient against UConn. Like, I think at that point he like led the country in passer rating or, or something like that. Then once big play, big 10 play started, I feel like you saw the completion percentage dip. You saw the yardage per attempt dip. You saw the, the efficiency stats, not like the, did you throw 40 times in a game, but like even the efficiency stats started to dip in big 10 play. But, but I feel like the last four games against Ohio state, Purdue, TCU, and then East Carolina, he has completed 69 of 105 passes for 1,047 yards and 11 touchdowns. And if you want to figure out what that like looks like for a whole season, just multiply it by three. So you're talking about really one of the better seasons in program history from a quarterback um, just in the last four games. So we'll see, we'll see where it goes from here. Right. And, and, you know, don't know what UNLV or Bowling Green will have in store, but you have to think big 10 teams are going to have, be able to cover guys one-on-one a little bit more. I didn't feel like guys were crazy open. And that's what, that's what impressed me is like those red zone throws, you know, that was a lot of chemistry, right? Roman Wilson, uh, you know, that first one, J.J. McCarthy escaped the pocket. It almost looked like he was going to run it in. I don't know what the TV angle was, but it almost kind of looked like he crossed the line of scrimmage. And yet Roman Wilson like finds a way to get open in a way that quarterback and receiver, like they have to have a chemistry for that, for J.J. to know that Roman's going to be able to, to leak over the middle. And then felt like he kind of did it again with the second touchdown. The third one, that was just a great throw and a great catch. You know, that's that's two veterans who have been at this for a while who are, who've been working on their craft all offseason. So, hey, the other thing on the third touchdown sure. is the look off too. Mm, okay. to, 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 to that second defensive back sort of zoning out to shade towards Wilson a little bit, looks him off that that split second is what opened up enough of a gap for him to get that ball in there. I mean, that was a that was a pro play all the way through. Read, yeah, it, throw, catch. I mean, that was just. Probably the best play of the game, I thought, honestly. Just the subtleties of it were just those are those little things that not every quarterback in college football, not many quarterbacks in college football, I feel like, can make that type of play. Yeah. And I think that's where the Kirk Campbell hire really seems to be hitting its stride. And I guess we'll see how it looks throughout the whole season. But, it, it, you know, what we hear from the players is that he comes at it like a, you know, it's not just, analytics it's not just mechanics like it's really like the the little nuances or intangible parts of a quarterback's decision making and going through your reads and as you mentioned the look off like like there's like little things and I feel like he's really good at and it's like the perfect timing for JJ McCarthy to have this coach because I think you know year one it was kind of about finding your role in the offense year two obviously you know he was about leading the offense and that now he's really trying to become a, as you mentioned, pro level quarterback felt like you started to see it toward the end of last season. And I think he's picked up where he left off. And so is Roman Wilson. I mean, he had a, he had a great TCU game. I know it kind of got overlooked because Michigan lost that game, but he was a controversial replay review away from three touchdowns in that game. One rushing two receiving. He had over a hundred yards. I mean, this is, I think, you know, we've mentioned it a couple times this summer. He was someone that kind of battled midseason injuries each of the past two seasons. Uh, but ultimately, he's extremely fast. I mean, you saw there were there were just routes today where he was he didn't even have to do anything super advanced. He just turned on the jets and outran uh, his 
his defender a couple times and and I think he's added some strength. I felt like there were like a few more of those like bump plays where he was able to create more space with his physicality. I wouldn't say that's like his his game or his style as a receiver. I think he's still more of a speed guy, but but being able to add that, I think that will translate well into Big Ten play. Steve, you and I were talking before this episode. I don't think you and I are nearly on the fans level when it comes to concerns about the run game, the offensive line. It was statistically Michigan's worst run game since the 2021 season, since they lost to Georgia. Uh, they they never ran for less than 168 yards last year. They never, I mean, they ran for 3.9 yards per carry, but I don't think they were even close to 3.9 yards per carry in any game last season. So that has fans concerned. I don't think you and I are concerned because one, Sharon Moore, who was the run game coordinator the last two seasons slash co-OC, wasn't there. And you're asking Kirk Campbell, who has not been a coordinator before. Well, I guess he was at what Old Dominion, but but who has not necessarily been a run game offensive line running backs kind of coach. He's been more of the the aerial attack, the quarterbacks coach wherever he's been. So you don't have Jim Harbaugh, you don't have Sharon Moore. I feel like that has to play a big role, especially since I felt like the offensive line just did not seem super cohesive. That's the downside of having depth and rotating guys in and platooning like Michigan would like to do this month uh, is you're not going to quite have that chemistry. They're kind of banking on that coming in October, but I don't know. For me, my concern level was pretty low. I felt like the runs that that were stopped were like very obvious ones where they had like a sixth offensive lineman. They had Max Bredesen in there. It was third and one or something. And like, it was just very obvious that they were going to run it. And East Carolina who, who lost a ton at a lot of different positions from last season's team, but actually does return a decent amount of the defensive line. You know, they were just able to sell out and try to stop the run. I don't know. It almost felt like Michigan was like trying to like show that they could do it even though everyone in the stadium knew what was coming. Like, it didn't seem like there was a, on a lot of those run plays, it didn't seem like there was a huge effort for deception. And, and then I think that, you know, the yards per carry part of it, like when they're trying to get Donovan Edwards a touchdown, because I, I, I think they definitely had a vision where Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards each get a touchdown. JJ McCarthy throws for his, you know, that way everyone, the three Heisman contenders so to speak all get you know their moment to score or whatever but east carolina was all over it i mean they, they shut it down so i'm not quite as concerned the only thing i am curious about is it felt like east carolina really was able to not just on the obvious rushing downs but they were able to really identify where michigan was going and this is maybe the over this is an overthink i know it's an overthink but I do wonder, because sometimes you see coordinators, it's happened at Michigan, it's happened at other programs, it, it sometimes happens in the NFL too, you know, that year three in a system is when the opponents, like, there's enough game tape, there's enough film. Uh, East Carolina obviously had more time to prepare for Michigan than most teams that face Michigan will, but is there some component of other teams are able to kind of figure out what Michigan does? Because I don't feel like Michigan has changed their scheme a ton 2021 and 2022 and felt like saw a lot of similar action on Saturday. So that's my only thought is like just making sure that run game is fresh, but also I would, I, I am going to give them a grade 
in my post game grades, but you could argue they, they should get an incomplete, no offensive coordinator, no run game coordinator, no offensive line coach. Uh, you would argue, you could argue that just makes more or less everything irrelevant from this game. Steve, not a great game for the, for the rushing attack. What is your concern level? What are your thoughts on what you saw today? And, and if your concern level is low, is there anything you saw that you are kind of keeping in mind heading into next week? Uh, between the forced, the forcing it to Edwards for the touchdown and then like the first drive of the game, that's like seven carries that got them absolutely nothing. And then the other thing I kind of look at is like, look at how wildly successful Michigan was in play action out of their jumbo package too. If that doesn't tell you that East Carolina was totally selling out to stop the run, I don't really know what would. Uh, on top of that, I mean, yeah, Corm ended up with 73 yards. You got to remember, he's still kind of, this was his first game action in in quite a while as well. I think they even mentioned him talking about, or was, was it after the game? Did he say something about not having to re, not having to readjust, but just being out there against live competition again? So not as concerned, well, definitely not, not as concerned as uh, maybe like the diehards that uh, live play-by-play on some of this stuff, just because like we just talked about McCarthy was basically perfect today. And uh, I'd be surprised if Michigan didn't run the ball much better going forward. You also wonder, I mean, you do have a couple new starters on the could offensive take, line. Could, yeah. Yeah. It could take a, maybe it takes a little bit to gel in that situation. I, I don't really know. So, uh, but either way, concern level, what? Two. You know, like I just, whatever. They were basically perfect in the passing game. And a lot of it was predicated off of showing run. So not, not, not overly concerned. No. I think if it happens again next week, I think I would go up a little higher, right? Cause Sharon Moore will be back. They'll be able to learn from this game tape. You know, if, if it happens again next week, that might be the concern. One stat I will say that I would say is more relevant than the yards per carry or total yards. Cause as you mentioned, I mean, Michigan's just trying to score on every drive and by and large, they, they kind of did before they put the reserves in. Although I would, I do think that's something relevant, right? You don't want when your reserves come in, like I feel like Michigan's 2016 team, the 2021 team, the 2022 team, you know, when those backups came in, they were still scoring on almost every drive. So I know guys like Tyler Morris banged up. I, I think Peyton O'Leary was out. Sir, you know, Matthew Hibner, I think he was out as well. So maybe maybe that's something to keep an eye on the rest of non-conference plays. Does the the second unit kind of pick up where the first unit left off? But but ultimately, I felt like they they were productive. And it doesn't really, like in my mind, if I see 280 passing yards on 30 attempts, and the run game struggled, I see productive offense against a defense that was trying to stop the run. Just like if Michigan only threw for 130 yards, but was able to run for 280 yards on the ground, I see productive offense against a team that was giving it up on the ground and maybe had the secondary covered, but but was easy to ru- run up the middle against. So I guess that's kind of like what Jim Harbaugh always likes to say, quoting Patton and being like by air by ground 
that's kind of what he means by that is productive offense is productive offense. And to score, to come within like an inch of 37 points in three quarters uh, without your head coach or offensive coordinator against a team that won eight games last year. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say it's, you know, their film review would bring up nothing to improve upon, but I do think next week will be a little bit more relevant to me just because the offensive coordinator will be back and that offensive line will have another game where they, you know, they get to settle in they get to hit the film review. They actually get to learn more than necessarily just keep going against their own defense. Anything else on the offense, Steve, that jumped out to you? Any, any players that you made like a little mental note of? I did note during the, in the game thread during the game, very, just a sort of tiny, subtle thing I noticed, but I really like the way that, that Fred Moore catches the football, uh, straight hands just he looks like a natural pass catcher out there I'm I'm very interested to see what he become and to be clear I mean he was a guy that we've been mentioning since June May as the the first year guy that we thought had the best chance to make an early impact for Michigan and uh he he's another one that looked like he belonged out there I, I'm very interested to see how Michigan utilizes him going forward and and what kind of impact he can make. Uh, You know, I know Tyler Morris was on the injury report and I do know he still played, you know, but you never know if he's a hundred percent or not, but it might end up being those two guys sort of battling it out for that third receiver spot. Uh, We'll see. I mean, to be fair, Clemens caught a pass and then looked like he limped off too. Like he clearly wasn't a hundred percent and he was on the, injury report as well but I just really you know it didn't take much for me to immediately like what Fred Moore could possibly bring to the table for them yeah you you mentioned a few days ago does x player look like they belong and I think he really does really liked his quickness off the line too I I didn't quite see him enough to know about his long speed or just you know how open he's going to get but in terms of just being able to to get off the line quickly, I, I I came away pretty impressed. And ultimately, I mean, they punted once in the first three quarters and scored, came within about as close as you, they actually did technically have 36 points. They just took six away. So about as close as you can get to a six possession game. So I guess in my head, like even though they were a little shorthanded, they were missing their offensive coordinator, they're missing the head coach who also is effectively an offensive coordinator because he's not, Jim Harbaugh is not calling defensive plays. He's not, I mean, he's kind of a supervisor, but, but that's, they, you know, the defensive players said all week, Jesse Minter is the head coach of the defense. So you're talking about your top two offensive play callers and coaches out, you know, a couple wide receivers, a tight end. So other than the run game, yeah, I, I think next week it's time to see the run game assert its will. But other than that, I came away pretty impressed with the offense. All right, we're going to hit a quick break. On the other side, we'll take a look at the defense, include a number of new starters or new contributors for the Wolverines who stood out to us, uh, as well as what the Wolverines looked good at and what they can improve upon. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. So, Steve, I think my first takeaway on the defense, and admittedly, a lot of it came up in the first quarter, but I, you know, I came into this game seeing how many different starters that they had on defense, new starters, guys like Keon Sab, uh, Kenneth Grant. I know he 
he's a name Michigan fans have mentioned a lot, but you know, I think he played more than he played in a lot of games last season. Keyshawn Harris, Josh Wallace, you know, Ernest Hausman didn't start, but I felt like he played quite a bit. He got uh, quite a bit of run. You kind of started to see some of these players and similar to Frederick Moore just a moment ago, I felt like I came away believing that you know, those guys really looked like they could help Michigan. I think Keon Sab might be a, a couple games too early to declare this, but I feel like he could be this year's Makari Page. You know, last year, Makari Page, I don't think anyone really had expectations for him heading into the season because it was RJ Moten and and Rod Moore kind of as the starters. And then Makari Page ended up being extremely valuable, especially against pass-happy offenses. He was just fantastic in coverage. Can't say, I mean, we'll have to give it more time, but but really like the way he moved uh, in, in the backfield as a safety. You know, the pass breakup on, on the third down attempt on his first series. I mean, this is a guy who played 17 snaps last season. He, he red-shirted, stuck it out, got better. And I felt like he, he looked just very athletic in the, in the backfield, the defensive backfield. I felt like the whole secondary actually uh, passed the eye test to me in terms of athleticism. So I can't wait, pretty impressed with him. Kenneth Grant had the, had the pressure, uh, felt like he was, I don't think he technically recorded a tackle, but felt like he was setting a nice tone with the line of scrimmage as well. And then Ernest Hausman was kind of the third defensive player who jumped out to me. It just, just gotta love his physicality. I mean, he can, he can move and, and he can hit and, you know, Jesse Minter said it after the game. He's basically the backup at the mic and the will. So whenever either Junior Colson, Michael Barrett, either need a breather or need to hit hit the reset button or need to see the de- defense from the sidelines for a moment, you know, he can come in. He can be a third linebacker as well. That's a very fortunate piece for Michigan to have picked up because now that linebacker room, when depth with it was a concern last year, it's it's not as much of a concern this fall. So, Steve, what jumped out to you? What was the uh, the good that you saw from the defense today. Obviously, they gave up three points, almost pitched a shutout, came about as close as you can. And through three quarters, they had only given up, what, 116 yards of offense? Yeah, I like <clears throat> they just, and I think we kind of thought this anyway, but they just looked pretty deep at most spots. You know, one guy, I mean, there were a handful of guys who flashed. I thought TJ Guy looked like he belonged at the edge position. Uh, he he caused some disruption. Kenneth Grant, obviously, you know, he barely – he had one quarterback hurry, but, man, he just looks like a guy who's going to be a force in the middle. The, the interior line looked solid throughout. And then you already mentioned Keon Sab, Ernest Hausman, uh, Jair Hill. I think he's going to play. As things move on, I know he only played late, but he's a guy that looked like he belonged. Uh, another thing that kind of stood out, you talked about Hausman, Barrett, Colson, uh, Jaden Hood. Mich- one of Michigan's biggest emphases was point is point of attack at the linebacker position, and it really looked like you could tell by the way they played today. Because, yeah, I mean, I thought even Hood made a couple big I mean, he made a big play on special teams, had maybe probably the biggest hit on special teams today, and then he made a had a good hit, I think, in the third or fourth quarter at linebacker as well. And then, like, you know, you talk about Colson seemed to dominate the game right up front. I think he accumulated, like, most of his stats in the first, like, 
two drives or so it felt like. But overall, yeah, they just felt deep at most positions. Mike Sainer still heady play as always. Uh, but I and I also agree about the athleticism. And that's like kind of been the calling card, though. That's the way they've recruited the position. It's the way most schools try to. But you know, like a Zeke Barry, Jair Hill, uh, Sab has become more athletic. You know, DJ Waller even getting some run as a freshman corner today was interesting. So, um, yeah, I, I just, they feel like a very deep group almost across the board. Uh, again, it's still, it's still one game. You still want to see more from those other guys like a Jaden Hood or a TJ guy uh, as the competition ramps up to see if they really could be another guy they can rotate in at their respective positions. But uh, like I said, up front and in the middle, there's a, there's a very, very stout, what, five? Because Cam Good got a lot of – he's not on the – I don't see him on the box score, but he got a lot of run today as well, it felt like. So it looked like they have a stout five. and uh, But they did play a couple true freshmen in the middle as well, if I'm not mistaken, right? Didn't Pierce saw some late action? And Pierce I think, uh, and Cameron Brandt Cam and Brandt. Yep. Uh, Kumba played like he's he's on the participation chart we we'll get okay. the snap counts tomorrow but yeah they we all did, played we're right we and we did say a sixth you know guy in the rotation might be one of the more interesting <laughs> that's how dig deep we were digging for position battles but uh but yeah so you know i just thought their overall depth stood out it didn't really until junk time when you know you're not playing prevent but you're also not trying to get any of your players hurt uh, it just really felt like Michigan was sort of able to seamlessly rotate guys in and out at a variety of positions and not really see much of a drop-off. Yes, I agree. I mean, the first three quarters, they had given up 116 total yards, zero points, and East Carolina was averaging 3.5 yards per play. In the fourth quarter, they gave up 119 yards, three points, and uh, 5.4 yards per play. So to me... And I don't know exactly when they, I think that was around when they shift or brought the starters out. So yeah, to me, I, I, it wasn't a shutout, but in terms of the big picture moving forward, I view it as a shutout East Carolina. Really? They didn't even get, I thought they might get like a couple trick plays or junk plays. They didn't even really get those, you know, they just not, not a ton of big plays. There were a couple pass plays that were where there were some breakdowns, but also they had three, first time starters or first time at Michigan starters in the, of the five secondary positions. They were without Rodmore and Will Johnson, who I think you and I would argue are the most athletic defensive backs back there. So lots, lots. I felt like there was lots to like on the defense. I don't really have a, a major critique probably won't until big 10 play starts. I mean, maybe they give me a reason to against Bowling Green or UNLV, but my, my hunch is that, that this group, just with the experience, eight returning starters from last year, uh, brought in a couple transfers, and just have guys like Sab, like Grant, like Hood, like Housman, who are like on the up and and able to be not. Man, I don't know if they'll technically count as breakout players. Maybe they will, but can be ascending players who give you the outliers. That's that's the term John Beeline always used to use, who can play better than you expected before the season. Because uh, Michigan's 2021 and 2022 defenses, if you look at outside of the biggest names, 
if you look at the different players that stepped up for the Wolverines, you know, especially on defense, I feel like that can really, that's what makes a defense a top five defense or a top 10 defense is surprise or ascending players that fare better than expected are kind of can offer that breakout punch. Cause that's just another layer to your versatility of a defense. That's another player who can step up. If there's an injury, that's another player you know, can step up to, to keep the defense fresh. Because on defense, you're going to rotate a little bit more than you will on offense. So, yeah, I came away pretty impressed on defense. Steve, any final thoughts on this game? Not particularly. Uh, you know, there was, yeah, discussion of the, whether the the pass rush. I counted at least, and, and I, I think it'd be an interesting question to ask an oppressor. Is it just assumed that, and I'm not, the officiating I thought was pretty poor on both sides today. It wasn't a, this isn't a gripe. Uh, about it hurting Michigan necessarily. But, I mean, there were at least four or five plays in real time where it looked like their edges were getting held, like, egregiously, and, and they weren't calling it. I just – so I, I didn't really think the pass rush and, – and the other thing, too, and I don't know why I always, I always equate this with Northwestern, but it seemed like ECU did a lot of that Northwestern dink and dunk stuff to really yeah, negate Michigan from getting I a mean, lot Jesse- of pressure. Jesse Minter even talked about it. He said, you know, that right. was that's his message to the pass rush yeah. from this yeah. game. Is so uh you know, so I don't buy into that being that much of an issue at all coming out of this game. And then uh the other thing, I you weren't you were in the press box, probably would just want to comment for listeners out there, and I, I would assume they agree. I thought the the production and just the whole show by by Peacock today was was pretty poor, actually. Why am I not at all surprised? You know, but, but I'll be case. honest with you. I'll be honest with you, Zach. I think, and I hate, I hate, I hate to say this. I just, it didn't feel like Mike Tirico was on his A game today. But, but, the, but the product, that's the part I hate to say. The rest of it, I don't care. Cause I, I, I think Mike Tirico is one of the best announcers in sports, not just uh, as it goes for football. But there was at least one play an actual play that was missed because they were showing some kind of graphic. Uh, just, it started out okay. It just kind of felt like it slowly went downhill throughout the game. Uh, but overall, a very, I just thought it was a very shaky thing. I think it's a good thing that Michigan's only on there once this year. I think people would not be too thrilled if they were constantly playing on the network unless you know, unless they were able to improve the product. I know some people in the, the live thread, I would also, I would agree on the flips to the flip side to an extent felt like the picture came in great, but just from a production standpoint and just like the way, you know, even their halftime shows, like all these halftime shows try to be like the exact same, you know, like at this point where you get, you go somewhere and the students or that school are behind you. And like, you have one guy who's like, all personality and like a former quarterback. And then it's just like all these shows are like exactly the same. So really nothing about any of their halftime type stuff stood out either. So not something we normally comment on because they're usually on the same two channels all year, but true with all these changes and stuff, I do think it's kind of interesting to, to kind of point out and notice some of the differences. And I just, yeah, I thought the, uh, the Peacock situation kind of stunk. And I, I do, I do know a lot of users, there's a thread on our board right now 
basically a concerted effort that after Ohio State and Notre Dame play that everyone's going to cancel their their Peacock subscription. So, um, you know, which I may join them in that. So just a random thing, not a big deal, but I do. It, it did become kind of a big topic of conversation during the game. And, uh, you know, I think Michigan fans probably glad that this is their only appearance on that network or whatever you want to call it uh, for the season. It's also just a bummer for fans that they have to do so many different things to watch their teams now. I mean, well, it's a straight up money. I mean, you, yeah, yeah, it's you straight up have to get a subscription, you know, and, and so what do you do? I mean, I'm getting texts from friends and stuff on like Thursday and Friday saying, you know, is this the only game they play on Peacock? Like, do I actually have to get a subscription to watch this? Or is this the only, like, do, do they at least play a couple games on here so I could utilize the subscription? I'm like, no, this is it. You know, so it's very, they'll just be sitting there crossing their fingers, hoping people forget to cancel their subscription. And you know, that, that, that money comes through whenever the trial right. runs out, you know, cause I, that's the other thing I know that what, that, what is it? Xfinity and spectrum both it's a 90 day free trial you know they'll they'll be banking on people forgetting about it after a few days and then or they like want it for basketball because i i think true i do there will yeah there there is some partnership there there will be some basketball true that's true i mean for our sake just for the site because they'll be on it in the future i'll probably just end up having to stick with it but but yeah it just it was it's a fascinating it's a, definitely a shift towards what you're seeing. I mean, you're, they're already talking about what ESPN doing their own subscription service or something eventually, instead of being on cable. I don't know. I was, thought I was reading something about something like that there. The consensus is that Apple or Amazon is going to own ESPN like in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I think right? I've seen a little bit of that. Right. So, I mean, this is where it's sort of heading where you got to have four different subscription services just to watch 12 or 13 football games for a year. But, you know, and with that in mind, that's, I think that's why to on the flip, the expectations should be high for a fan. If you're having to pay, yeah, you know, right. And, and so like, so it's disappointing to see just sort of a, a lackluster product, uh, you know, and, and again, Peacock's been working with Notre Dame for what, at least the last two seasons. So it's not as if this is their first, Right into right. college football waters either. So with all that in mind, I just think, you know, I think fans totally right to be a little, just a little perturbed. And, you know, it's like, oh, this was kind of, kind of stunk. You know, you'd rather just watch it on ESPN or big, even big 10 network at this point, you know? So interesting. Okay. That's fair. I, I, you know, I was there. It wasn't something that I experienced, but I don't know. I I'm technically team stream over cable, but, but at the same time, I, I'm, I think everyone's annoyed by this, right? Cause it's such an inconvenience and you're paying potentially, I guess it sounds like there were, there were free trials, but like you're paying and they're not taking the commercials away. They're just, they're keeping the commercials and just so, charging you more. Or yeah, making so it the, harder. Yeah. Yes. So you're paying, you're paying for the service and then, you know, you're talking about the new clock situation, the actual running time of the game with commercials included was about the same as it would be. So you, we were, you were definitely seeing more commercials, more ads throughout for something that you're, yeah, that you're already. <laughs> and then if viewership for, ever you know? dips, they're never going to say, Oh, there's too many commercials. They're going to say, 
oh, it's the transfer portal. Oh, it's NIL. Like, oh, it's this other stuff ruining sure, sure. The, the product. Uh, no, it, no I agree, probably, dude. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we could probably rant about that for a long time. When, when I went when I went on the – when I first activated the Peacock thing, I, I was going to watch – I was going to watch Super Mario Brothers, you know, because I hadn't seen it. Okay, did you? I didn't. Well, no, no that's what this okay. was. No, like, no. You want to know why? Because when I went to first start it, there was like, it was like two and a half minutes of commercials before the movie even started. And I'm like, I just lost. <laughs> Maybe I have ADD. I don't know. Within that two and a half minutes, I lost interest. Of wanting to watch it because I immediately wondered, I was like, there's not commercials in the middle of the movie, is there? Like, uh, you know, so I'm like, screw this, I don't want to do that, you know. But, um, but it, that same deal though, where it's like immediately, the you hadn't even like you need more the, money. How yeah. could you need more money? How could you need more money? <laughs> it's like they didn't even get to the credit, like the opening credits for the movie, and it was, you know, that. You know that little circle that runs around the bottom corner that t- yeah. shows you how many? Yeah, it said like 135 or something. And I'm like, what? It's like, I'm not going to sit here and watch that circle slowly go around, you know? So um, <laughs> maybe this week I'll watch it, though. I, I need to I need to watch it. But either way, yeah, I just thought that was comical. And then, yeah, yeah during the game, just way too much commercial presence uh, throughout. So pretty poop stuff from Peacock, I thought. Next week is... CBS, right? The CBS so. three thirty window, Correct. so it'll be different. But the commercials are, will still be there. So it's yeah. yeah. I'm glad that the tide is kind of tur- or not tide is turning. Everyone's always hated commercials, but I'm glad that that's starting to become more of a talking point. Is how annoying that is because you know I think it's been brought up. Boy, we're we're on a total tangent here, but that's, I think it's fine. been brought up. Like you can still, if you must do that many commercials, like you can still do that without necessarily stopping play for like five minutes right isn't that what the networks do they have like a five minute media yeah. break and stuff and it's like there's gotta be better ways like if you if you must make your millions more there there has to be creative ways i feel like baseball i don't actually watch a ton of baseball but i feel like i've seen a little bit more creative stuff i feel like i've seen um you know some of these other sports have found creative ways to well Golf, golf, golf will run. Golf will. I know golf, and I, I'm sure they're not the only sport, but I, that's what I always think of. They'll they'll run ads or like commercials on the side, like basically do a dual screen and run the commercial while play is still showing on the other side. And the other thing is too, it's not like the companies that are paying for the ad space on these networks don't have a ton of money to begin with either. So, right. So so raise the ad rates if you're the networks and and make make the make the ones who want us to the ad space pay more and then lessen lessen the commercials or maybe show less commercials but show more like i don't know because the other thing is too is like you see the same commercial like six times during a three hour yes like (laughs) thing too you know that that's another especially i feel like the streaming sites are always like that where it's like big time anyways I don't have a ton else to say about this game. I, you know, I, at some point I would love to like maybe on rewatch, I'll keep an eye on the special teams. Felt like there was a little bit of mistiming sloppiness. I think, didn't they have like 10 guys on the field for the, for the missed field goal attempt. So, yes. you know, there's like little things to clean up. And, and I think part of that is just, that is one position, very experienced team. That is one position where there's been a little bit more roster turnover. So, and game one. Right. You know, if it's if it's a problem in game four, then it's a problem. But but Michigan 
you know, they're going to take advantage of this schedule. They're hoping to play players and like play backups and see who can step up for them. Cause some guys might surprise you really liked, uh, you know, Carmelo English's punt return. You know, that's something that if they were playing top 10 team in the country week one, you might not necessarily uh, get that return or you might necessarily get some of these other players who had their moments. Anyway, for Steve Renz, I'm Zach Shaw. Be sure to check out all of our stories over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. Lots of coverage from this game, and obviously we'll have lots of coverage leading up to Week 2 against UNLV. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time.